one form of worship and uh, spend time talking about something that uh, we were able to experience this weekend. Uh, every year, the interns and I go out onto the streets of Spokane for about a 24-hour period and uh, engage in what is often called an urban plunge. Those of you not familiar with an urban plunge, the idea behind it is to kind of immerse yourself in what the culture would be like to be among uh, the urban poor or to be on the streets. Uh, we work with nonprofit organizations that focus their attention, time, and effort and resources towards that community. And, uh, and then we, we just we kind of, we experience lots of forms of uh, what I think are um, uh, subtle ways that our city oppresses people. And uh, then we have a lot of dialogue and learn together. It's an experiential kind of learning. And uh, we sleep in like a warming shelter kind of situation. And uh, so every year we do this. And uh, this year's crew got to do it uh, over this weekend. Got back on Sunday or Saturday night. And um, Sarah's going to come and share. Levi shared last service. Sarah's going to give a little bit of uh, the, a little bit of the impact that this trip had on her. Hello, my name is Sarah, um, and what I want to talk about is really quite simple and applies, I think, in all situations. Um, the biggest thing for me is I had a really, really bad attitude about going on this trip, and I did not want to go. I thought it was just going to be... I think I was really resistant to being one of those... Christians that comes in and pretends that they know what others are going through, but we're just going to be there for, you know, 24 hours, and then we're going to go back and resume our normal lives. Um, so I had a really bad attitude about going, and um, it worked out really well for, like, my own vanity because I was really sick, and so I totally had an out, and um, I was, like, really close to backing out, but there was still that voice inside of me that I think we all get sometimes when we're uncomfortable, but there's that thing that tells us, no, do this, and you fight it, but I ended up just doing it, and um, so I met up with the group, and I still had a bad attitude when we started, um, but then a few hours into it, we met up with a member of our church that had been homeless for three years, and he gave his story, and that's when I felt my attitude change, and I think the biggest thing that God spoke to me in that is that we all have these opportunities to show the people around us that we care about them, even if we don't know them, and even if we are just passing them on the street or in church, like, no matter the context, we have the opportunity to either, like, stay inside ourselves and inside our bad attitudes, or we have the opportunity to reach out to them, and it doesn't have to be some large gesture, but just simply, like, a look in the eye and hello how are you I recognize that you are a human and I respect that um, so I think the biggest thing that I want to share is just 
If there are those times when you feel that discomfort in you um, of knowing that God wants you to do something but being very resistant of that, um, just go into that place of tension because I think God will bless you and he will bless others through that. I think uh, Sarah immediately applied what she just shared with you, too, because about three minutes ago when I was like, hey, you're going to share this morning? And she was like, no, really, I don't want to. And then she was like, oh, okay, yeah, I probably should, right? So she's living out the very thing she just expressed. But all of us, I think, when you find yourself in that place, lean into, lean into that tension, because I think it is in those times where questions arise and where there's questions, there's learning. And I think uh, part of what we're called to is to uh, really engage with people and to love deeply. And this was a weekend to be able to do that, to know people's stories, because every story matters. Every story matters. And to learn of people's stories and how they interrelate with ours was uh, significant. Let me um, read a passage of Scripture in First uh, John. And uh, we're going to transition into a time of communion. And uh, as we've been talking about this idea of love this morning, this uh, passage uh, struck me as I was reading a little earlier today. It says this, Beloved, let us love one another, for love is from God. And whoever loves has been born of God and knows God. Anyone who does not love does not know God because God is love. In this, the love of God was made manifest among us, or in this, the love of God revealed itself, showed itself, expressed itself to us, that God sent His only Son into the world so that we might live through Him. In this is love, not that we have loved God, but that He loved us and sent His Son to be the propitiation for our sins. Beloved, if God so loved us, we also ought to love one another. No one has ever seen God. If we love one another, God abides in us, and His love is perfected in us. This morning we're going to take communion, and my prayer is that as we take it, to remember again the gift of God's grace towards us, the sacrifice that was made, the body broken and the blood shed, so that we might understand the true meaning of love, and then we might live into the calling we have to love others. Let's pray. God, we are just so thankful for your gift. Because your gift is not just, about, um, not just about saving us, not just about some eternal redemption at some point. It's about a present relationship with you now. It's about uh, having a story that's intertwined with yours, about uh, knowing you and loving you and taking that same love and expressing that to those around us. God, may we be a people who understand and appreciate and are so blessed by the gift of your Son. May this time be rich as we remember again. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Can you hear me? Good. Perfect. Um, let me invite you to something tomorrow. Uh, Martin Luther King Jr. 
is the uh, celebration that happens downtown. Uh, the last, I don't know, five or six years since we moved here, uh, my wife and I and our family has gone to the MLK March. Uh, it takes place downtown at the convention center. At 10 a.m. it starts, and every year what uh, we do is just invite you to walk with us. We'd love for you to be there. Uh, if you go to the convention center, you kind of wind in. There's this big open meeting area. They'll have a bunch of different speakers and uh, people sharing a little bit about the uh, values of the day and what it's all about. And uh, my wife and I and family stand off to the right side in the back. And that's where many of you have met us in the past. And then uh, the march takes like 15, 20 minutes after, we, uh, after they dismiss us to march. And then we end up at the, the mall downtown. It's pretty cool. There's a lot of music and stuff going on. But I would encourage you, if you've never been to uh, Martin Luther King Jr. March and a chance to celebrate that day, I would highly encourage you to do it. And uh, we'd love to do it with you. So that's tomorrow, uh, 10 a.m. Okay? We have uh, been in the middle of this series called If. It has nothing to do with the women's thing down in Austin, except that they copied the name from us, I think. But um, besides that, the month of January, what we've been doing is just looking at this key word, the word if. Because if is full of possibilities. There's all kinds of potentiality when it comes to this word. And what we've been doing is looking at it from two angles. One, really addressing passages of Scripture that have the hinge or the big idea being the if word. This would only be possible if this happens. And then the second thing we've been doing is allowing that to remind us of the vision of our community. This community started over 21 years ago, and the desire is for us to continue to make a difference in our city and beyond. And uh, we put together uh, many years ago a bit of a vision statement. The statement says this, our vision is to cultivate an urban-focused, small group-driven community of missionaries that wholeheartedly worships God, unconditionally loves all people, boldly lives out and extends the gospel of the kingdom uh, of God through Jesus Christ. All right, that's our vision statement here as a community of small groups. And uh, last week we talked about the idea of wholeheartedly worshiping God. And this week we're going to lean into unconditionally loving all people. So I want to start with a uh, passage found in 1 John chapter 4. It's our main passage for this morning. It says this. Uh, It'll be on the screen and you can follow. If anyone says, I love God and hates his brother, he is a liar. For he who does not love his brother whom he has seen cannot love God whom he has not seen. And this commandment we have from him, whoever loves God must also love his brother. So here's what I want us to do this morning. Uh, Sometimes we'll read a passage and then we'll just jump right into talking about it and pulling pieces of it apart, but what I would like is for us to allow this thought, this idea to kind of saturate our minds for a moment. So I'm going to ask you, I'm going to give you some quiet, I'm going to ask you to read through this verse, or these two verses, about four or five times, and then uh, I'll read it again, because I just want us to catch what these verses are communicating about the idea of love, right? So take a moment and read through this a few times.
read it again. It says, If anyone says, I love God, and hates his brother, he is a liar. For he who does not love his brother whom he has seen cannot love God whom he has not seen. And this commandment we have from him, whoever loves God must also love his brother. I want to uh, show you a video clip here. This uh, video clip, let me preface it for a moment. Uh, it's a little bit longer of a clip than I would typically show on a Sunday, but I think it captures uh, some really key ideas. Uh, it is a, a video of a student who's 18 years old, just graduated from uh, high school in Baltimore, uh, grew up in what he describes as the hood, and uh, he's expressing to a group of teachers uh, what the importance of education is. And uh, I think this isn't just a video for teachers, this is a video for anyone, uh, but it's uh, an interesting statement he makes about the way that education has shaped him and maybe how culture is informing our idea of love. So let's watch this video and then I'll come up and share some thoughts after. I had the hardest time writing this speech because I didn't, I didn't want to disagree with people. I didn't want to step on any toes and I wasn't completely sure if I was in the right to say what I'm going to say. So, but all that's not really important right now because I believe in my heart that I'm doing it for something bigger than me. So, there goes. I just graduated from high school about a month ago, which was cool. You know what I mean? It's cool. It took a lot of hard work, dedication, focus, all that good stuff. It made my family real proud. But something bugged me. When I, when I came home from graduation, I, I was real mad because I thought about what people said at my graduation, how people saw their graduation, how people viewed their education as a whole, what people aspired to be, where they wanted to go, how they viewed their success, whatever you can name, I was mad at. I felt so different in my beliefs and no one saw it the way I saw it. My friends were saying stuff like, yo, they doubted me. They said I couldn't do it, but yeah, look at me now. Or my other friends were saying, yo, like this, this, this diploma right here, this my, my ticket out of the hood. They told how they wanted to move in big houses with lawns and have, you know, get married and have two kids. Most of all, what most of them said, they said how their kids won't have to grow up the way they grew up. You know what I mean? And most people, you're probably thinking right now, well, what's wrong with that? They want better for themselves. Well, my problem with that is, is, is right in that, is that they only want better for themselves. They, they, they didn't think about anybody but themselves and their families. They only talked about them and what they would do in the rest of their life. They didn't think about their neighborhood. They didn't mention paying it forward or giving back. How do kids get this mindset? I think kids get this mindset from everyone. When times is hard at home, teachers will say, it's okay, because soon you'll get, out the, you'll get out the hood, you'll go off to college, you know what I mean? And think, think about that. You won't have to ever come back here. They talked about my neighborhoods as if I was in hell, and the only way to get out of hell was through their education. This motivation to leave hell and get to the promised land is the reason why some will never come back. 
the teachers, they told them it ain't no good there. It's the reason why some won't keep in touch with their old friends because teachers told them that their old friends are trying to hold them back, trying to hold them down. It's the reason why kids are growing up with no role models in their neighborhoods right now. And I would even take it a step further to say that the reason that this mindset is the reason why neighborhoods are the way they are now. And if you truly want to make a change, and I believe in my heart that you do, I suggest that you try to break this down. But how do you combat this selfishness? What do we offer to them as an alternative? My teacher answered me in this way when, I asked, when he asked my class, what's the common thread between Mother Teresa, Mahatma Gandhi, and Martin Luther King? I thought it was a stupid question. You know what I mean? It's a lot of common threads. But the common thread, the common thread that he, he explained was that it's the extreme love for people. Sometimes the people they were advocating for didn't want to be advocated for. And the people they were fighting for didn't want to be fought over. But they kept on pushing because they truly love people. This type of love for people is what you should be pushing on your kids. When people try to tear them down, or a boy in your class just got robbed, or a girl in your class gets bullied in a neighborhood, allow them to be angry, but direct their anger to the fact that someone taught those kids that it's okay to behave like that. Direct their anger to the fact that someone taught them that it's everybody for themselves. Encourage them to look at it as Jesus did when he was getting crucified by the same people he seek to save. And he said, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. Because this is the truth of the matter. The people who put them down were put down. And the people who hurt them were hurt. I feel like if you just change their perception of the situation they're in, you would create a better motivation to succeed. Better than teaching them to hate where they come from and have, and have hope for where they're going, their motivation would come from a deep faith inside that says it doesn't have to be like this. Why do my friends only see hope on the nearest corner? I'm going to change that. Why do my friends feel like it's okay to kill each other and hurt each other like we're not part of the same community? I'm going to change that. Teachers, instead of making sellouts, excuse my language, you would have made people who changed their communities more than you, you ever could. I think this would bring love back to neighborhoods because they would realize that it's not one against the other or them against the world or them against the hood that's trying to hold them back. It's them together, not separated by hoods like Park Heights and Emerson Village. Set on one goal. And that goal is to make it better for the people coming along after them. Much like Martin Luther King, this is my dream for Baltimore City. It's an actual dream. I actually dream about it sometimes. But at the center of it, it's not me. It's not parents. It's not the government. It's teachers. I believe with all my heart that you have the power to do it. I believe because this is where it transformed me from the kid who wanted to be a drug dealer in middle school, whose mother was in and out of jail because of her drug addiction, who, whose best friend was murdered when I was only 14, the kid who had the biggest temper and was just a pain in the butt, to the guy that's standing before you today, still dealing with most of those things, 
But I don't focus on that because I realize that it's bigger than me. It's not about me. For, for example, Harriet Tubman, she got out of slavery, got to the North. She was, she was around everything she could ever dream of. But she went back again and again because Harriet realized it's bigger than her. And the same thing I realized, and it's bigger than you in me. Everything that I am is because a couple of teachers like you saw through all that mess and all my flaws and saw the potential deep down inside Elijah that I couldn't even see for myself. And it's this type of teacher that's made me into the man I am today. A man who has an extreme love for people. So I tell you again that you can do it because I'm living proof of it. You can pass the torch to these kids so that they change their communities and change the world. I believe in you, have hope, be determined, and don't give up. Thank you. going to be a preacher someday. Uh, amazing, amazing story of what he was describing as his life, but I think the crux of the whole video is this, that education is not about self-interest, right? It's about love. It's about love. That your life is not about self-interest. It's about love. That the kingdom of God is not about self-interest. It's about love. This community should have nothing to do with self-interest, but rather should be about love. So I think this video highlights what I consider to be a significant issue in our culture today. There's a Korean proverb that says this, that arms tend to bend inward. Maybe you've heard that proverb before. Arms tend to bend inward. The idea is that ultimately people favor their own stories. All of us favor or give preference to our own lives, to our own families, to our own racial group, and prioritize our things over others. Keep the attention and the worry and the focus on us. What he kept compellingly telling us was, it's not about me. It's bigger than me. It's not about us. It's bigger than us. And he continued to reinforce that idea, but I think our natural inclination is to worry about what affects us and to kind of ignore the rest. So you hear about graduation rates in Spokane County. 25% not even graduating. Or here in Chicago Public Schools, 50% of every kid doesn't graduate from high school. You hear those statistics, and some of us go, man, that's horrible. And others go, it doesn't affect me. I've already graduated. Because what we do is we look at our own Interest, inequality in job market or in promotions, economic inequality, mental illness, homelessness, foster system, the prison system, and the inequality that is experienced there. All of those things, what do they have to do with me, might be the question that you're asking. And it brings us back to our verse. It says this, if anyone says, I love God, and yet hates his brother, he is a liar. For he who does not love his brother whom he has seen cannot love God whom he has not seen. Easy equation is this. If there's no love of your brother or your sister, then it means there's no love of God. I think what has happened 
many of us, as we've stopped equating our profession of faith and its reality with love. We find ways to reorganize this set of verses. That's my natural inclination, is to figure out how to redefine it. So I start with the word love. What I try to do is adjust the definition of it. I make it more palatable, find a new way to define it. The easiest way to define it for me is I adjust it from love to like. It's good to love God and to like your brother or sister. See, likes a lot easier. It's more uh, comfortable for me. Works better. I get to choose who I like. I get to decide if you're in the group I like or not. It's not that I don't like you, it's just that I ignore you, the rest of you. Right? Because that's what like is about. It's really love turned into something resembling sentimentality. Just an emotion that kind of comes and goes, and it's only emotion that's there when I desire for it to be there, when it's convenient. So if you don't take the change love to like approach, I think the other approach we take is to focus on the word hate. So we give our attention to that word, because it says, if I love God but hate my brother, well, I don't, I don't hate my brother, and I don't hate anyone. I just, I don't. It's never been in my nature. Maybe you've heard this statement before, the opposite of love is not hate, it's indifference. The Holocaust survivor, the winner of the 1986 Nobel Peace Prize is the one that said that, the opposite of love is not hate, it's indifference. The idea is that love must extend itself to the unlovely. Love must extend itself to the outcast, the different, the unusual. Because love means to behave in a way that meets the needs of another. Love is to behave in a way that meets the needs of another. So to hate, to hate is to refuse to meet our brother's needs. Now again, this is where we go, no, 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 that's not hate. Hate isn't to refuse to meet someone's need. Hate is this vicious feeling that we have. Or at least that's what we convince ourselves of. See, for John, love, true agape love, is not an emotional word. It's an action. It requires something of us. We can't satisfy love just by caring for our significant others or our best friends or being in like with people that are similar to us. They have the same faith, the same race, the same sexual orientation, the same nationality. It's not just about convenience. Martin Luther King Jr. said this, an individual has not started living. He hasn't started living until he or she can rise above the narrow confines of their individualistic concerns to the broader concerns of all humanity. Because see, it's not love unless it moves you to action. Which takes us to another verse that starts with if in the book of John. It says this, If anyone has the world's goods and sees his brother in need, yet closes his heart against him, how does the love of God abide in him? Little children, let us not love in word or talk, but in deed and in truth. Now there's a phrase that's real central to this first verse's idea. It's the phrase, yet closes his heart against him. 
I looked it up in a couple other versions. In the message version, it says to turn the cold shoulder and do nothing. To see the need and just turn the cold shoulder and do nothing. New Living Translation says to see the need and to show no compassion. My favorite rendering is the King James Version, which I rarely get to say that, but this time I do, and it says this, but whoso, but whoso hath the world's goods and seeth his brother in need and shutteth up his bowels of compassion from him, how dwelleth the love of God in him? And that's deep. Right? I love that phrase, shutteth up the bowels of compassion. Now it sounds ridiculous, it's a little bit weird, but it actually of all of the renderings I read and perhaps of the version you're holding is probably the one that's most accurate, the one that's closest to the original. Because the idea behind it is that it's the inner part of you, the very core of your being, the very center of your life. We often think of that as the heart, but the idea for the original readers is that you're closing off or shutting your guts, your intestines, the very center of you. It's the part of you that doesn't just know something, it's the part of you that feels something. That's why we say it, it, it hurt me all the way to my gut. That's why when something horrific happens, at times you feel like vomiting because it moves you to your gut. It's a deep, gut-wrenching, emotional, tidal wave kind of feeling. And what he's saying is if you have the world's goods and you see a brother in need and you shut up that feeling, that emotion, that thing that pains you inside, then how? How can the love of God be within us? To feel the deep love, compassion, mercy, pity for the other. Because see, love is active. We can't just speak of it we can't just write songs about it. We can't write poems about it. We actually have to live it for it to truly be love. See, love moves you. Maybe a better idea is that love disrupts you. We talk often about love moving you to something. But does it ever disrupt you? Does it change your pattern of life? Does it change the neighborhood you move into? Does it change the people you relate with? Does it change the causes you take up? Because love disrupts. Verse we read in 1 John says, But if anyone has the world's goods and sees his brother in need, and it wraps up by saying this, Let us not love in word or talk, but in deed and in truth. We're going to close with this video and then I'm going to come up and, and uh, pray a prayer with us. We've always perceived ourselves as people of freedom. Freedom of equality of human decency, of the right to live without fear. These freedoms have been given to us by many who sacrificed greatly 
And somehow, we've believed that the war has been won. That we have arrived. But if we open our eyes, we can see that the dream has not yet been fully realized. That there are still battles to fight. Still inequalities present. Still souls suffering. That our faith demands more than awareness and that no generation is exempt from these battles. But we are held responsible to stand, to do justly, to love mercy, and to serve the least of these. Our faith demands more than just awareness. Faith demands action. And this year we are reminding ourselves at the beginning that if is full of possibilities. But will we be a community that actually loves with action? Will we be a community that actually leans into not just an awareness, but us mobilizing ourselves, us being the hands and feet of Jesus, us making a difference? in the lives of others through an overwhelming sense of love. You say, I believe that love makes the difference in each and every one of those situations. So will we be the kind of people that love? In the back of your bulletin, there's a Franciscan benediction that I want to close with. It is my prayer for us. I'll read it. You can follow along. It says this, May God bless you with discomfort at easy answers, half-truths, and superficial relationships so that you may live deep within your heart. May God bless you with anger at injustice, oppression, and exploitation of people so that you may work for justice, freedom, and peace. May God bless you with tears to shed for those who suffer pain, rejection, hunger, and war, so that you may reach out your hand to comfort them and turn their pain into joy. And may God bless you with enough foolishness to believe that you can make a difference in the world, so that you can do what others claim cannot be done, to bring justice and kindness to all our children and to the poor. God, we want to be people who are so consumed by Your love for us, so consumed by the gift of Jesus, that the love that we have, we then begin to share with all those around us. May You make us foolish enough to believe that You still move in incredible ways in the lives of people, and that You somehow want to use us to be a part of it. God, Move us to our guts, to the core of who we are. Because if we love you, we love our brother or our sister. May we live that out. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. As you go, let me remind you, um, 
exit this way. If you're interested in small groups or connecting, go there. Giving statements are in the back. Mugs, exit. Thank you. Have a good day.